Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Thank you, David, for setting this up for me. I am not tech savvy, so I needed a little bit of help this morning, and also to Abdil for helping. And thank you, Kadriana, for such a beautiful song. Can you guys hear me okay? So I am the relig religious liberty leader here at Belleville Church. Religious liberty is a part of the public affairs and religious liberty department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. This department of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is broad and multifaceted. There are public affairs and religious liberty leaders at each of the 13 world divisions of the church at each of the unions and conferences and even in many local churches. We work with decision makers and thought leaders of society to help them understand who Adventists are and how we contribute to the quality of life within every community. We have three main areas of focus. The first area is diplomacy. We have a presence in the United Nations in New York and Geneva and with other international organizations. We have an office on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. We maintain contact with lawmakers, the White House, and D.C.'s large, diverse, diplomatic community. In the area of events, every five years we organize a World Congress for Religious Freedom, an event that brings together hundreds of public officials, lawyers, and religious leaders from around the world. In the area of communication, we have publications on religious freedom. We keep church members informed. The third Sabbath of every January is named Religious Liberty Sabbath. And we invite church members to take time to remember the work of public affairs and religious liberty and the importance of protecting and promoting our most precious freedom, religious liberty. So today, as Pastor and I begin the Religious Liberty Campaign for 2020, we are going to talk to you about a few important matters as they relate to religious liberty. I'm going to talk to you about what religious liberty actually means, explore with you what Jesus would do about politics if he were alive today, and what religious freedom actually encompasses. Is that okay with you? So before I begin, I just want to open with a word of prayer. So if we could just bow our heads and just pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that I have today to be able to preach a sermon here. Father, Lord, I ask that you ease my nervousness and my anxiety. Father, I ask for a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, I ask that they be pleasing in your sight, Father. You are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So what does religious liberty actually mean? In order to look at this idea of religious liberty, we have to consider the First Amendment. And within the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, specifically, we're going to talk about the aspect of religion. We're going to talk about the freedom to exercise, and we're also going to talk about the freedom to establish religion. 
Yes, we do represent faithful members in dealing with issues of Sabbath accommodation at work, but we do so much more than that. The guarantees of religious liberty does not just end with establishing and exercising religion freely. The scope of religious freedom is more than the freedom to worship. Religious freedom is central to all other freedoms. So let's listen to what one of the leaders from the Public Affairs and Religious Liberty Department had to say about this. Our topic today is really about Jesus as the embodiment of freedom. Jesus, the model of freedom. Religious liberty is actually a very important topic in our world today. But religious liberty has to be understood in the frame of more fundamental freedoms. In the context of this reflection, I would like to highlight, in fact, the uniquely Seventh-day Adventist understanding of the nature and scope of religious liberty. There is more to religious liberty than meets the eye. Seventh-day Adventists bring unique perspectives about religious freedom. Our physical worldview provides us with unique lenses to make significant contributions and equip us to bring critical insights to this most important topic. Seventh-day Adventists present what we could call a holistic or comprehensive understanding of the nature and scope of religious freedom. Religious freedom, yes, is the freedom to worship, but it is more than that. Religious freedom, according to the working policy of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is the primordial freedom which undergirds all the other freedoms. It is not only the primordial freedom, it is also central to all other freedoms. So then, what exactly does this idea of religious liberty include? Can we even talk about this idea without talking about politics? Do you guys think we can do that? No, it's not. It's not possible. It's interesting because many Adventists share this school of thought that Jesus would divorce himself from politics today. Many Adventists believe that Jesus would remain neutral or simply uninterested in politics today. So in other words, aloof. But when we look at biblical accounts, did Jesus remain outside of the public square? Did he? He didn't. Just because Jesus was not involved in partisan politics, meaning he didn't support a particular party, cause, or person, or even seek to overthrow political regimes, especially given the fact that the Jews were under Roman subjugation, or meaning they were oppressed by the Romans. So even then, Jesus didn't come to overthrow a specific government. But did he remain quiet? He didn't. He was not uninterested. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say. Would you agree with that? So we know that he significantly impacted the public society and culture in which he lived. He made politically incorrect healings 
on the Sabbath day. He associated himself with tax collectors and prostitutes despite disapproval from others. He healed and fraternized with the Romans who everybody hated. Jesus forcibly cleansed the temple, which was a center of not just spiritual, but of social, economic, and political influence and power. Jesus is our example, is he not? And we're told in Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2, let's go there. Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2. Say amen when you have it, please. Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So here we're told that God is our example, and we are to follow after his example, yes? So let's go to Romans 5, verse 6 through 11. Romans 5, verse 6 through 11. And let me know once you're there. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteousness, for righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And one last scripture that I'll refer to is in Matthew. It's Matthew 5 verse 44 Matthew 5 verse 44 say amen when you have it please but I say to you love your enemies bless those who curse you do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you so we see here that God that Christ is speaking a very unpopular message is he not and he's telling us that we're to love our enemies He's telling us that we're to love those who shows us opposition. And God, he loved us even while we were yet sinners. And even though, even those who hated him. And so with that, bear that in mind as we take a look at some religious liberty issues that we face today. Here you see a series of pictures. We have here uh, President Trump who signed an executive order. We'll talk a little bit about that briefly. We have religious liberty, is it coming to an end? We have a gentleman by the name of Daryl Patterson who's involved in a Walgreens, uh, a case where he was an employee and fired for honoring the Sabbath um, and they weren't willing to accommodate him. And as of December 9th, it was recommended for the US Supreme Court to hear his case. So this is a landmark case that's happening right now. December 9th is in 2019. Um, we also see migrants and refugees. We see children in detention camps. Um, and we see, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. We see an abused woman, and we even see assault happening to those in the LGBTQ community. And then we also see a different or very unpopular religion at this time. You see the little picture there that says, stand with Muslims. 
Um, we have a Fairness Act for All, and this is, in this picture you see a group of Seventh-day Adventist advocates working to protect religious freedom, um, and specifically, there is a growing bipartisan interest in balanced legislation that ensures lasting religious freedom and provides protections for LGBT Americans. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, which publishes Liberty, has endorsed the fairness for all acts balanced, principled approach to the ongoing conflict between religious freedom and LGBT rights. To learn more about this, there's a website that you can actually go to. Some elements to consider, we'll go over those briefly. Um, the important elements of this Fairness Act for All um, prohibits LGBT discrimination in employment. It protects churches and other religious organizations to employ those that adhere to our beliefs and standards. It prohibits LGBT and sex discrimination in public accommodations. And other elements to consider, it protects the conscience of medical providers and marriage counselors. It protects us, religious um, properties, from being treated as places of public accommodation and so forth. Um, here we have the executive order that um, Trump put into place, and we also have the case of Daryl Patterson, which I talked to you about a little bit ago. The significance about Trump's executive order um, as of May 4, 2017, is that he signed this order, which is aimed to ensure faith-based organizations have equal access to government funding and the equal right to exercise their deeply held beliefs. And so the religious message would not be stifled. I submit to you, is this truly separation of church and state? Is it? Does that sound like separation of church and state to you? It doesn't. That is what this order establishes. Then we see migrants and refugees, as I talked to you about that a little bit ago. Our church has taken a stand and has given a specific message, and I want to read it in its entirety, um, and I'm quoting specifically. It's a very long article, but I picked out some very significant points. Recent events in the United States have brought the news of young children being separated from their parents as they cross our borders. The Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America joins other faith-based groups in expressing concern over these actions, and it is deeply worried when biblical texts are used by those in power to affirm them. We strongly encourage all political parties to quickly seek a joint resolution that will not only bring these separated families back together, but also keep this from ever happening again. We affirm the right of our government to protect its borders and enforce the law, but it is a moral obligation of this country to protect all who cross our borders. Romans 13 verse 10 guides us with these words, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Seventh-day Adventists regard the nurture and protection of children as a sacred trust. All Americans, and particularly people of faith, must raise their voices to condemn the demonization of these immigrant families as criminals. Many are fleeing violence and lawfully seeking refugee status. Jesus Christ declared that the way we treat those we regard as the least of these is how we treat the Christ. In their treatment of immigrant and refugee families, our leaders are demonizing Jesus himself. Many people proclaim America to be a Christian nation. Yet those who reject the fundamental teaching of Jesus to give a cup of cold water to the thirsty, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and give shelter to the stranger, mock God and lose any right to claim the name of Christ. America is a nation of immigrants and has always been a compassionate nation. 
The United States has championed democracy, human rights, and civil and religious freedom around the world. But in this matter, we are champions no more. A policy that seeks to accomplish a social and political goal by tearing apart families and harming children is a stain on our nation's character that will be difficult to erase. Thus, we are compelled to rise up and seek to relieve the suffering of these immigrant children who are languishing in detention centers, torn from their mother's arms. Our thoughts and prayers must turn into actions and deeds. All those who will still cherish the values of America stands for must demand action from Congress to end this policy. So let's talk about the application of Jesus' unpopular message. We're given a mandate. The Bible is filled with passionate descriptions of God's concern for the poor and oppressed. He calls for us to work on their behalf. Evil persists and is most visible in poverty, violence, oppression, slavery, exploitation, selfishness, and greed. And this list is not exhaustive. Faith does not require passivity. Those in power, whether in government or otherwise, enforce and maintain that power by threats of force. Christ was not passive in the face of evil, and neither should we. Peter tells us we must obey God rather than man. When the laws of men conflict with the word and law of God, we must obey the latter, Ellen G. White. We have to have a voice for the voiceless. Many prophets call for justice, and this was never a popular message. Prophets dare to be a voice for the voiceless in their time and place, despite opposition, despite discomfort and danger. We are called to reflect Jesus to the world. All human beings bear the image of God and are the recipients of God's blessing. Love was central to all of Jesus' teachings. That love was meant to be shared with everyone, even including the Romans, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, Jesus even showed love to those who persecuted him. He prayed for them. While he was hanging on the cross, Christ showed no partiality. He is no respecter of persons. Christ extended love even to his enemies, and so must we. And with that, that said, if we look to Jesus as our example, do you think that Jesus would remain silent, uninvolved, uninterested, or neutral, about any of today's politics. I can't hear you. No, he wouldn't. He would not remain silent or neutral or uninterested in the travails of the most vulnerable members of society like the poor or abused women, children, migrants, and refugees. He certainly would not divorce himself from those who fall into the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer community. Christ is the embodiment of freedom. Before Pastor Nathaniel begins, I will close with a few remarks from a segment of the video I showed you earlier. Bear in mind that relating to others does not mean we lose our distinctive identity. Doesn't mean that we lose our mission or our message. The spirit to welcome others, to meet with them in order to share precisely the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, meeting with others doesn't mean at all losing one's distinctive identity, mission, and message. Not mingling with others. 
relate to others only in terms of conflict, antagonism, then we betray the gospel. Thank you. At this time, I'll turn it over to Pastor. I'm going to pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here to worship. Thank you for the message that uh, Shanetta brought. And Lord, uh, please also be with me as I speak. Uh, may my words be yours. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So a true understanding of the gospel... Oh, yes, yeah, so uh, the deacons are passing around a, um, uh, something I'm going to be quoting here in just a second, so uh, I'm not going to read everything from what they're giving you, but uh, just to give you some extra stuff there. Social justice in the gospel. Social justice is a, um, is a, a part of religious liberty. Religious liberty is a part of social justice. Uh, you know, she... Shanetta spoke of uh, of several different things concerning religious liberty that are also social justice. And, you know, social justice has kind of received um, uh, some negative connotations here here recently. But uh, social justice is not a negative term. It's not something that that we should shun or turn away from uh, just because there are some people out there who try to give it a a bad rap. yeah, but uh, we, we really need to understand social justice and, 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 how, and the gospel and how they fit together uh, better. Uh, I think we don't give it enough, we don't give it enough attention uh, from the pulpits, and we certainly don't give it enough attention out in our communities. Uh, a true, but a true understanding of the gospel allows Christians to work for justice in the world in the way that does not undermine the centrality of the gospel. As um, there's a, a Baptist professor from uh, Central Baptist Seminary in Toronto, his name's Don Carson, he says this, and I quote, and this quote is on your paper there. Uh, it's uh, the first part in bold, I think it's on number three. But uh, it says, the gospel is the good news of what God has done, especially in Christ Jesus especially in his cross and resurrection. It is not what we do because it is news, it is to be proclaimed. But because it is powerful, it, is not, only, it not only reconciles us to God, but transforms us. And that necessarily shapes our behavior, priorities, values, relationships with people, and much more. These are not optional extras for the extremely sanctified, but entailments of the gospel. To preach moral duty without the underlying power of the gospel is moralism that is both pathetic and powerless. To preach a watered-down gospel as that which tips us into the kingdom to be followed by discipleship and deeds of mercy is an anemic shadow of the robust gospel of the Bible. To preach the gospel and social justice as equivalent demands us demands uh, equivalent demands is to misunderstand how the Bible hangs together next uh, 
next bold part there. You may have to flip your page over. Uh, it's number four there. But it says, Christians interested in alleviating only eternal suffering implicitly deny the place of love here and now. Christians who by their failure to proclaim the Christ of the gospel of the kingdom while they treat AIDS victims in their suffering here and now show themselves not really to believe all that the Bible says about fleeing the wrath to come. In the end, it is a practical atheism and a failure in love. And so we, we really do God a disservice when we only preach half of the gospel, part of the gospel. You see, the, a holistic gospel is when we are standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, when we give a voice to those who cannot speak or whose, uh, whose voices have been, uh, have, have been pushed aside, when we treat everybody equally with love and with respect, when we treat everybody as though we would want to be treated. Isn't that the golden rule? Jesus, when he started his ministry in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, he said, he said this. He went into the temple and he, he read from the scroll of Isaiah. But he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This isn't talking about, just talking about those who are in prison. This is talking about those who cannot speak for themselves, those who cannot stand up for themselves, uh, who, who are not able to, or who have been pushed aside by society, who have been forgotten, who have been abandoned, who have been ignored. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, he said. Second Corinthians 4 verse 3 it says but if our gospel is hidden it is hidden to those who are lost friends we don't need a hidden gospel we need to preach the gospel we need to live the gospel the gospel in the sense of not just that Jesus died for your sins but that there's a world out there that is hurting there's a world out there that has been shunned and pushed away and ignored there's a world out there who is not being treated as though we would want to be treated, we need to stand up for them. What if we were in their shoes? Would we not want somebody to stand up for us? Jesus from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord is, has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Verse 3 and 4 here I thought was interesting. It says, To preserve those who mourn in Zion, to give to them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he might be glorified. They shall build the old ruins. They shall rise up the former desolations and shall call 
shall repair the waste places, the desolations of many generations. And so a social justice warrior, a true Christian, and a true ambassador for Christ doesn't just preach the gospel, but they help to set at liberty those who have been oppressed. They give oil of joy for mourning. They preserve, or sorry, they give beauty for ashes. You see, those out there who are, who are hurting, in the, uh, those who have been uh, trafficked for sexual purposes and slavery, those who are in the LGBTQ community, those, uh, even uh, racism still exists in this world. Now you may think, well, I'm not racist, but racism still exists. And if you don't think so, talk to any, any person of color in this room. And we need to stand up for that. We need to stand up for those who have been oppressed for so long. We need to give them beauty for ashes. We need to give them joy, oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Because of my lighter complexion, I don't know what people of color have had to deal with. I will never know. I will never understand it in the way that you understand it. But as a preacher of the gospel, I want to implore all of us to stand up for those who have been hurt. I believe Jesus would. You see, Isaiah 61 is just an echo, a reiteration of what is taking place in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is the most, the most uh, commented on chapter in the spirit of prophecy. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. Listen to this. You'll, you'll find that it's very similar. It says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor who are outcasts into your house? This is exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? Didn't he mingle with them? This is, what he's at, this is what Isaiah 58 is asking us to do, to share our bread, to invite the poor into our house. When you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of the paths in which to dwell. Friends, as a, as a 
Christian. As a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, we are to be the repairers of the breach. There has been a breach that has taken place in society, in humanity. That there are those who are treated as less than others. You see, with Jesus, there is no slave. There is no poor or rich. All are equal in Christ. I am not better than any of you. You are not better than any of me or anyone else sitting around this room. Or anyone else that is not within these walls. Anyone who does not have their name written on the books of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are all equal. We're all called to share Jesus. To live a life that Jesus would live. Treating everyone with love and respect. You see, when you say things to the LGBT community, when you say things like, oh, Jesus, He loves the sinner, but He hates the sin. Don't say that. that that'll that'll sh put up walls that you won't be able to reach them anymore. Don't say those things. judgment on them. Just love them. Treat them how you would want to be treated. Many of them know what they're doing, just like you know what you're doing. You know, the only one that should point out sin is Christ. Isaiah 1, 17 Isaiah, he starts out with this. He, he talks about justice over and over again. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Seek to do what is right, in other words. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Through Isaiah, God is, in, is imploring us to stand up for those who are... Speak out for those who cannot speak out. Jesus demonstrated social justice over and over again by doing exactly what he said he would do when he stood up to read from the scroll of Isaiah to, to set at liberty those who are captive. Remember the woman that uh, uh, was not accepted by those in her community because of her lifestyle, the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus went out to meet her where she was at. But you see, she, she showed up at the well at times when no one else was there. She showed up because she was not accepted by those in her community. She was talked bad about, gossiped about. She had five husbands that were uh, no longer her husband. Or her, uh, her, yeah, her husband. So she, she went at a different time and so she was... She was looked bad upon. She was ignored. She was not accepted. She was not loved. She was alone. Jesus went to meet her where she was at. Then there was a woman caught in adultery. Jesus stood up for her. Jesus showed her grace. He didn't condemn her. He showed her grace. 
Then there was a man who was socially awkward, not accepted by society as normal. Jesus sought him out, found him in a tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Jesus went looking for him. Jesus went out looking for him to go and eat with him, fulfilling the words of Isaiah. Jesus call, was called a glutton. He was called a drunkard. He was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, these were the people in society that were avoided and ignored. They were not accepted. They were ostracized and avoided. They were even hated by some. Parents probably told their kids, you know, stay away from them. You don't want to be influenced by them. Pharisees treated them as less than human, but Jesus came to stand up for them, to restore their faith, to give them purpose, to give them love and hope and acceptance as a child of God. Friends, that is our God-given right, that we are a child of God and we should be treated as a child of God. And so should all of those outside of these walls. He didn't see them for what they were at the present time. He saw them for what they could be in Him. And friends, I'm thankful that He sees me that way too. Jesus healed countless numbers of people. He healed them physically. He healed them mentally. He healed them spiritually and socially. He wants to use us to continue in this mission on earth to give people a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. The whole, and the whole gospel includes this. Jesus didn't just come to preach and die on the cross. He didn't just die for our sins. He died for our suffering too. And there's a lot of people out there that are suffering. There's a lot of people out there that are suffering and need to know that Jesus died for their suffering too. You know, it's when we talk about religious liberty, when we talk about social justice, whether in a Christian circle or not, we have to remember that it's not what, but it's who. Social justice becomes less about what and more about who we, we are called to prioritize as followers of Christ. So often we get ensnared in the disagreements around the what in relation to social justice because it deals with often contentious issues like budgets, taxation, labor laws, social protections, safety nets, political correctness, social acceptance and others. Instead, we should start a space of common ground around those who God calls us to be concerned about. In other words, what is predicated by who? 
starting with what often enables our ideologies to trump our theology and spirituality. As Christians, the building blocks of social justice lie in human dignity, human flourishing, and the sanctity of life. The source of social justice is God's perfect righteousness, justice, and radical love. Social justice is about creating kingdom space here and now, giving witness to the ultimate just society yet to come in heaven. So every time we use our voice to influence, or our voice and our influence to get in the way of injustice, whether it's human trafficking or economic exploitation, human rights abuses, or infants dying needlessly, we provide a foretaste of God's kingdom to come. And if you are concerned that, you know, well, we just don't have, you know, I, I don't know how to reinvent the wheel. How, how do I get plugged in? How do I help? Maybe your argument is, you know, that our, the Seventh-day Adventist Church doesn't have enough platforms to really help us uh, give a voice to some of these different classes or these different... Uh, different things. There are a lot of non-Adventist organizations that are also Christian organizations that you can partner with, that you can help with. You know, wouldn't it be awesome if, uh, even though we, we may not have a, a, a platform uh, like you know, the one Netta mentioned, or uh, you know, end it now that you know speaks out against uh, abuse. If we if we didn't have so, something like that that you're interested in helping with. But if we went and found some others, some other Christian organizations that do a very, very good job at helping, and if they said, you know what, those Adventists, I'm thankful for those Adventists because they're, they're, they're a big help. You'd be able to rub shoulders with more people for the gospel. I'm involved in two groups myself. Two groups, some uh, are all Christians and then the other one, they're not all Christian. But we're all speaking out against social injustices. You may not think you can do much, but God will use you. I pray that as fellow Christians, we will heed God's call for social justice. Social justice, which is rooted in Scripture and faith. You don't have to sacrifice your principles as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. You should uplift it. In, each, in, your, in your own context. But let us recommit to advancing social justice, not as an extracurricular or optional part of our faith, but as an imperative. It is a must. It is a need. And it is important. 
Friends, if, if you felt God speaking to you at all during the service today, I want to encourage you to come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of our elders. Maybe there's a point of clarification you didn't quite understand. Come and talk to me or, uh, or Shanetta. But I think it's time to start having more of a holistic gospel. Not just that Jesus died for our sins. You know, I can give a glow track to a homeless man. But am I really helping him? I can give a glow track to uh, somebody in the LBGT community. But do I really care enough to go the extra mile like Jesus would, like Jesus did? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to discuss such a difficult topic. Lord, help us to be advocates for the hurting advocates for the ignored, the unaccepted, those who have been shunned and ostracized, those who feel alone. Help us to be able to point them to Jesus, to give them hope, but to help them not just spiritually, but physically as well socially help us to do our part here on earth In Jesus name we pray and we love you amen